I'm Tom Payne with TP Farms in Walla, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture and Texas Ag Today. This is Texas Ag Today, the number one source for the latest news in Texas agriculture. The largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State covers it all. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Here's today's top stories. A group of Texas farmers and ranchers is touring agriculture in the Rio Grande Valley. We'll have that coming up to kick off today's show. Wheat in the Texas High Plains is moving toward a critical development stage. I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll have more advice on timing the fertilizing of that crop. The state's largest farm organization is fighting for farmers and ranchers in Washington, D.C. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. Now, here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Why don't you jump on in with me and buckle up? We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. Be sure to hold on tight because it all starts right now. Our show today coming to you from deep south Texas, where we're taking a tour of Rio Grande Valley agriculture this week. Isaac Sulamona grows corn, cotton, sorghum, and beef cattle here in the valley, and he's president of our host, the Hidalgo Farm Bureau. Well, we're hoping to, to show the some of the unique aspects of South Texas agriculture, namely citrus, uh, uh, vegetable production, uh, sugarcane, and also we're going to take some time to address uh, the, the border issues as well and some very, very big challenges we're currently facing uh, with uh, water and a, an ongoing water dispute with our neighbor to the south. He says water is a huge issue for farmers here because they're dependent on a water treaty with Mexico. And Mexico isn't living up to their end of the deal. You know, we're kind of a advanced in our planning and harvesting schedules down here. So we're at the beginning of our planting season, actually. And as a producer, it's very, very challenging to plan your year when your uh, water availability is uh, so uncertain. And uh, unlike other parts of the state, uh, our water is almost entirely surface water. It comes from the Rio Grande River, which we share uh, with Mexico to the south. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we are currently, well, we're not in arrears. Mexico's in arrears and what they owe us. And so without th- those water uh, rights being allocated to the producers, we don't have a way to irrigate our crops. Because of the climate, farmers here on the border grow a lot of vegetables and melons. But Sulamona says farmers are moving away from those more water-demanding crops because of the uncertainty of irrigation supplies. Now, it's only the first week of February, but farmers here in the valley are rolling planters right now. Sulamona says he'll start putting corn in the ground this weekend. We heard a very interesting presentation last night from Mike Banks. He spent a career as a Border Patrol agent and now serves as Governor Greg Abbott's Texas Border Czar and head of Operation Lone Star. He couldn't do an interview with me, but he did tell us he took that job one year ago. And at that time, about 80 percent of the nation's border crossings were happening here in Texas. 
He reported to our group that Operation Lone Star has made major changes in the way the state is protecting our border, and as a result, only around 30% of border crossings are happening on the Texas border now, with the other 70% crossing in California, Arizona, and New Mexico. Now back to the water issue that Isaac touched on earlier. The water system here in the valley is regulated by several irrigation districts. Sonny Nahosa is the water advocate for the Hidalgo County Irrigation District 2. I asked him to go into more detail on this treaty dispute with Mexico. We're very reliant on the surface water of the Rio Grande for, for all our needs, for agriculture and our municipal needs. And uh, we, we live by the 1944 treaty between the U.S. and Mexico. And we're in the fourth year of a five-year cycle. And uh, Mexico should be delivering an average of 350,000 acre-feet per year to the U.S. And they're, uh, like I said, we're in the beginning of the fourth year, and they've only delivered about one year's worth of water. So we're, we're very short on water. We're just a little below 22, 22% of what we could have which is about 700,000 acre-feet. Uh, but from that 700,000 acre-feet, you know, there's 300,000 of it for reserves. So our agricultural community only has about 400,000 acre-feet uh, for irrigation. And, and a lot of our, our irrigation has been curtailed because of the lack of supply. And with Mexico keeping the water for themselves instead of sharing it with farmers here in the valley, agriculture here is suffering. We're into a third year of, of severe rationing. Farmers are unable to plant their crops. And the ones that, that do have a little bit of water, they're only you know, farming a fraction of their farm and pulling their water you know, from the rest of their acreage to just have some kind of crop you know, for this year and probably next if, if, we, if we get no relief. Now, we got pretty low last year, and historically, you know, we can rely on some on the tropics to bring us some relief, and that didn't happen last year. So we're going to hover around this 20 to hopefully maybe 25% until the next hurricane season, and because uh, it doesn't appear uh, Mexico will be delivering any water to the U.S., since the treaty was signed back in 1944, Mexico has built several reservoirs to store water for their farmers on their side of the river. Those reservoirs are holding the water they're supposed to deliver to the U.S. But the last time the Mexican government tried to release that water, farmers in Mexico rioted and at least one person died. So at this point, there's no political motivation to make good on the treaty. Wheat in the Texas High Plains is moving towards a critical development stage. James Hunt has some advice on timing the fertilizer for that crop. Yesterday, Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Calvin Trossel told us wheat farmers can potentially boost grain yields by coordinating the timing of nitrogen top dressing with what's called growing point differentiation. That's when a wheat plant's growing point goes from producing leaves and on toward producing grain. In a typical Texas High Plains wheat season, Dr. Trossel says this transition occurs in late winter. Here's Dr. Trossel's advice on examining individual fields. In wheat, there's something that tells us when this 
growing point differentiation process is occurring. We call it jointing. And so when you see the first few joints, that would be a first few stems where if you rub your thumb and forefinger up and down the lower stem of a wheat, the main, if you have a wheat plant, it's got a main stem and three or four tillers. You find the one that looks like the main stem. You rub your finger up and down that lower stem. If you can feel something that feels like, imagine a BB stuck inside that stem, that's a joint. And so when you first see the very first few of those across the field, the rest of that field is on the cusp of going into the growing point differentiation process. So that's where in my thinking it says that if you see the first few joints, it's time to get the nitrogen on the field. But don't give up if you're a bit behind. If you miss the timing, you still need the nitrogen. Your nitrogen will still impact your grain yields and it could be a good impact, but you might have lost the upper level of potential that you could have had if you had early nitrogen out there versus being late by, say, five or seven days. Dr. Calvin Trossel with Texas A&M AgriLife. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The state's largest farm organization is fighting for farmers and ranchers in Washington, D.C. Jessica Domel has more. The 118th Congress's second session is well underway in the nation's capital, and that means the state's largest farm organization, the Texas Farm Bureau, is hard at work advocating for farmers and ranchers. Laramie Adams, TFB's Associate Director of Government Affairs, explains the organization's priority issues. The priorities that we set for the 118th second session are farm bill, disaster assistance, border security, trade, ag labor, the 1944 water treaty, rural connectivity, livestock crop protection, and regulatory reform. So we've got nine priorities. We are currently operating under an extension of the 2018 Farm Bill that expires September 30th. Adam says with the elections this year, if Congress wants to get something done on a Farm Bill, it should be done in March. I think that if we don't get it in March, then we have to look at September. If we don't have it by September 30th, which is not going to happen due to elections, we have to look at the lame duck. So after November, I believe we'd have to have some sort of extension to make sure that there's no interruption there. So if we don't get it done early this year, then the next thing to look at is lame duck. And that's a very short window till the end of the year. You know, I don't want to be pessimistic about it. I mean, we're continuing. We're not letting off the gas pedal. We're continuing to visit with all of our members of the Texas delegation and other key leaders in Washington, D.C. And not only that, but also when they're in their districts, taking them on farm tours and saying, listen, you can see for yourselves that this isn't an easy job. Get to work. Among other things, the Farm Bill provides funding to key programs that provide a safety net to farmers and ranchers. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Agricultural challenges for U.S. exporters of red meat. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have more in my report on Texas Ag Today. And handling animal health products correctly is very important. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up. These stories plus a look at the markets are straight ahead on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now... 
We're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-sized weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're bringing you the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Japan is a big trading partner for U.S. agriculture. But Tom Nicoletti tells us that trading partnership can get a bit complicated. When it comes to agricultural trade between the United States and Japan, the comparison of the U.S. dollar versus the Japanese yen comes into play. Currently, approximately 148 Japanese yen equates to one U.S. dollar. In an interview with U.S. Meat Export Federation President and CEO Dan Hallstrom, the U.S. MEF leader addressed this and other challenges facing red meat exports. That is probably the number one issue that's holding Japan back. Put with that that we also have a duty on inbound beef of 23%. That sounds really negative, and it is. But the reality is they are a massive importer of their caloric intake. Over 60% of their caloric intake of food and meat as well is imported. There's a need there. So they're going to buy whether the end's high or low some amount of meat from us. So we have to continue to tell our story because we're unique. We're high quality, grain finished, it's unique. It's much different than Aussie, grass fed, much different than some other supply sources. Reflect on the fact that uh, we have a lot of global uncertainty with the conflicts still uh, brewing in Ukraine and then of course, Israel, Gaza. Massive macro global concern, we're all aware of it. Markets don't like uncertainty, right? Global beef and pork markets are no different. The way I look at it, Tom, is this. Number one, what is one of the best ways to really cultivate an essence of stability? Well, it, it's feeding the world. And the U.S. is the most well-positioned nation with a surplus where we provide high-quality meat, in our case, of course, beef, pork, and lamb. I'm Tom Nicoletti for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Handling animal health products correctly is very important. Dr. Bob Judd says incorrect handling can yield some bad results. Since this is a time of year many vaccinations are performed, especially in cow-calf operations, handling the products correctly is required to deliver the products so they will be effective. Always read the label concerning storage and usage even if you have used the product before, as ingredients and recommendations could change. Dr. Brian Lubers from Kansas State indicated at Drovers.com that products labeled to be refrigerated must be refrigerated, but there are products that can be stored at room temperature. However, some believe that even room temperature products should not be stored over 85 degrees Fahrenheit. Although we are in the winter and have cooled some since the fall, we still have warm days in Texas, and the temperature will still get unseasonably warm at times, so leaving these products in your barn is not a good idea. Both heat and cold can change the drug molecules and decrease effectiveness of a product. So if a product freezes, it also may need to be replaced. And some products are sensitive to sunlight. So on a day that is 60 degrees Fahrenheit, medications still need to be kept out of the sun. Certainly, if you shake a bottle of medication and there are lumps in the product that do not disappear, the product should be discarded. We're often asked about expiration dates and if the product is really ineffective after that date. 
Unfortunately, the answer is we do not know, because it is not worth the taking the chance of vaccinating a large cow herd with a product that may or may not be effective. Always use a shoot-side cooler to keep products you're using both cool and out of the sun. I'm Dr. Bob Judd, and this is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. We'll check the markets coming up next on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, visit tfbhealth.com. Sometimes you love them, sometimes you cuss them. Here's a look at the markets on Texas Ag Today. After trading lower on Wednesday, the cattle complex recovered on Thursday thanks to a supportive World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report from USDA and strong weekly export sales. February live cattle up $1.55 to $183.77. April live cattle up $1.77 to $186.57. June live cattle up $1.52 to $183.72. Supported by live cattle trade, stronger feeder cattle demand, and corn trading lower, feeder cattle traded higher on Thursday. March feeder cattle up $1.30 to $246.85. April feeder cattle up $0.72 to $251.92. May feeder cattle up 40 cents to 256.30. Boxed beef was mixed Thursday. Choice down 88 cents to 294.10. Select up 48 cents to 285.90. Now let's check those livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Carl Herman, Caldwell Livestock, sells them every Wednesday. Carl, how was this week's sale? Had almost 800 head for 140 consigners and uh, 45 buyers on a higher cow market and calf market. Uh, we had 100 cows and bulls yesterday. Slaughter bulls 50 to 122. Slaughter bulls 90 to 133. Stalker cows 850 to 1550. And the pairs 800 to 2175. On the calf side, on the steers, two to three weight steers brought 366 to 420. Three to four weights 325 to $4. Four to five weight steers ended up with $3 to 365. Five to six weight steers 277 to 310. Six to seven weights 250 to 295. And the seven to eight weight steers brought two twenty five to two forty seven. On the heifer side, two to three weights, three dollars to four dollars. Three to four weight heifers, three oh six to three sixty. Four to five weights, three two seventy five to three thirty seven. Five to six weights, two fifty to two eighty. Six to seven weight heifers, two twenty five to two seventy. And the seven to eight weights, two dollars to two twenty seven. Uh, overall, again, had a good day. The cattle were good, and uh, the buyers need a real bad. We'll tell everybody how to get a hold of you for next week. Okay. My number is 979-820-5349. Call the barn, 567-4119. You're in the Giddings and surrounding area. Call Max Evander, 540-8676. Carl Herman, thank you for the call. Appreciate it, Larry. And neighbor, thank you for listening to Walking the Pens here on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. That was Carl Herman. I'm Larry Marble. You're listening to us right this second on Texas Ag Today. Lean hogs traded lower on Thursday despite a favorable WASDE and export report. 
February lean hogs down 7 cents to 73.30. April lean hogs down 75 cents to 80.35. February class 3 milk down 9 cents to 16.14 a hundredweight. March class 3 milk down 12 cents to 17.21 a hundredweight. Cotton traded higher Thursday on speculative and technical buying. This month's WASDE report Thursday forecasts lower ending stocks for cotton in the United States with higher exports and lower mill use. Production is unchanged. Worldwide, USDA says 2023-2024 cotton ending stocks are expected to be nearly 700,000 bales lower this month. World consumption is basically unchanged. March cotton up 63 points to 89.10. May cotton up 38 points to 89.68. December cotton up 14 points to 82.94. Corn traded lower on Thursday. Analysts say that that's due to oversold conditions. In the February WASDE report released on Thursday by USDA, the agency forecast large U.S. ending stocks and higher projected corn exports for the Ukraine and Pakistan. There was a significant reduction in Brazilian corn production and lower food and industrial consumption of corn in the United States. March corn down one to 433 and a quarter. May corn down one and a half to 445 even. September corn down one and a half to 461 and three quarters. March hard red wheat fell 17 and a quarter Thursday to 601. May hard red wheat down 16 and a quarter to 599 and a half. July hard red wheat down 16 to 593 and a half. March soybeans up four and a half to 11.93 and a half. March natural gas fell a nickel Thursday to $1.91. April natural gas down three cents to $1.94. Crude oil rose over $2 Thursday, according to Reuters, that was due to concerns of a broadening conflict in the Middle East. According to the news agency, Israel rejected a ceasefire offer from Hamas. Crude oil was also supported by a stronger-than-expected drawdown in gas and distillate stocks in the U.S. March crude oil up $2.49 to $76.35. April crude oil up $2.41 to $76.32 a barrel. Now let's take a look at the financial markets. On Thursday, the Dow rose 9 points to 38687 The S&P 500 fell almost a full point to 4,994. The Nasdaq rose 30 points to 15,787. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. We hope you join us next time for the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and we hope to see you then. Thanks for joining us for Texas Ag Today. Be sure to follow the Texas Ag Today podcast found wherever you listen to podcasts. For more Texas farm and ranch news, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.